Today on Blue 58, the 2023 Packers season is over. Now it's time to start taking a look at what was, why it was that way, and what's going to happen in the future. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, and I am happy to be with you here for another episode. Have you licked your wounds? Have you found some time to reflect on the Packers' loss to the 49ers? I have. Hope you've level set a little bit after a a disappointing loss. And, you know, in the grand scheme of things, in the grand scheme of Packers losses, as far as the playoffs goes, at least, we've seen worse, a lot worse. 2014 MC Championship game, the 2011 loss to the Giants and Eli Manning, Brett Favre losing at Lambeau Field in his last game with the Green Bay Packers. You You can run off a lot of them. That said, I I still think it's okay to be disappointed in this game. And I think part of my disappointment comes from one of my personal biases. Well, I guess two of my personal biases here. Uh, Every playoff run is precious. Even if you don't, I don't know, deserve is a a tough word for me in in competitive sports. Even if you don't deserve to be there in the colloquial understanding, like even if you weren't expected to get this far, whatever, it's hard to really sit there and think, gosh, if it wasn't for, you know, meltdown in the last six minutes, we'd have been playing in the NFC championship game against a team whose best players have publicly admitted to being afraid of the Green Bay Packers. That's the Detroit Lions. That's who they are. And the Packers were that close. Things can break your way even when you don't quote-unquote deserve it. And you've got to be ready to take advantage of those times because it's never a guarantee that things are going to break your way when you do deserve it. Look how many things broke against the Packers in 2014, in 2020, in 2021. Shoot, if you look back at that 2021 loss to the, the, the 49ers, if Mercedes Lewis fumble bounces out of bounds instead of into the 49ers' hands, that game might be different. If the if the punt the block punt uh, goes out of the back of the end zone for a safety instead of being recovered for a touchdown, it might be different. There's so many different ways things can break your way when you do deserve it that didn't when the Packers did quote unquote deserve to be there. And in this situation, when the Packers maybe weren't expected to be this far, things were rolling. They were beating the 49ers. They were that close to being in the NFC Championship game. And they didn't get there in part because of my other personal bias, just the unforced errors that you didn't have to make. This is painting with a broad brush, but I don't think it's really inaccurate to say that the Packers lost in the divisional round in large part because of a missed kicker or a missed kick from a kicker who's really never been accurate and a bad drive from a defensive coordinator who's never coordinated a good defense. That was the reality about Daniel, or not Daniel, Anders Carlson when they drafted him. He was not an accurate kicker in college. The, the reality about Joe Barry when the Packers hired him was what he had never coordinated a good defense. And the Packers' season ended up resting, among other things, to be sure, on those two individuals, Carlson missing a kick in a clutch situation, 
now has missed kicks in, what, 10 of his last 12 games? And then Joe Barry failing to close out yet another opponent. Those sorts of unforced errors are just intolerable to me. And I'm breaking one of my own rules here. Like if you criticize a player or a guy that the Packers could have hired or drafted, one of the things that I always want to make sure that I do is provide alternatives. I think in Carlson's case, you just work to get a guy who did not have a catastrophic knee injury in college and has some sort of track record of being at least a little bit accurate. That, that's, that's the way it is. That's just the prospect that he was. Yeah, he, he can kick some long kicks. That's true. But he's he falls short on some of the other stuff. And Barry, well, we've had that conversation 40 different ways. Just not the guy who who has the – is this unfair to say just the stink of an 0-16 season on him? Or just had a bad tenure in Washington? Or who's never, like, been on the forefront of defensive innovation? He's just always run a version of what other more successful defensive coordinators have run. Like that, that's the stuff that bothers me. Yeah, sure, we didn't necessarily expect the Packers to get this far, but they did. And then they had an opportunity to go farther and then didn't because of things that they did to themselves. That's really what bothers me about this game. But it's over and it's gone. And we got Matt LaFleur talking a little bit about that and about the offseason ahead in his press conference on Monday. The two things that really jumped out to me about that press conference really came down to the Carlson situation and the Barry situation. He did talk a little bit about how Christian Watson is going to be seeing a specialist for his hamstring issues. That's good. Something he probably should have been doing a while ago, uh, considering that he's had these hamstring issues for close to half a decade now, but better late than never. So at least he's going to be doing that. But uh, LaFleur did get the opportunity to to clarify some of his remarks about Carlson. To recap that situation, Tom Rinaldi reports on the Fox sidelines during the game that Lafleur had told him that when Carlson goes out there, he prays. Um, and the the assembled beat reporters and such gave him the opportunity to kind of correct the record there. Here's how that went down. Is there any uh, context or clarification needed to what they said on the broadcast that you apparently told them that you pray before every kick you guys have? That was extremely disappointing um, that that's how that message got uh, portrayed. Um, you know, I've been doing this for, been a part of production meetings for ever since I became a coordinator. And I've never had a, an experience like that. But it is what it is. I talked to honors about it. And, you know, I think anytime something's out of your control, you, you know, kind of saying it in jest and having fun with it, but it got portrayed that way, and, you know, it's a learning lesson for me. Pretty clear what happened here. Uh, you can see the production meeting, how that's going down. These production meetings, by the way, uh, it's the sideline reporters and the play-by-play and color people that sit down with the coaches, relevant coordinators, couple players, um, individually and just kind of talk. If you were a, a normal journalist doing a report on something, this would be talking on background, usually. You're not expecting stuff to come out of here as as direct quotes. You're trying to get a sense for the, the feel of the team, the feel of the situation and stuff like that. And it's pretty clear that LaFleur said something. I was asked about Carlson. And you can just imagine um, 
the way that he would say it, just like, boy, you know, you, you just got to pray every time he goes out there. Um, but yeah. And then from there you can see how it would spin a little bit out of control. So usually that stuff is not getting reported verbatim on the broadcast with some necessary context missing. You can see that Lafleur might not actually mean that he's on his knees seeking the intervention of the Lord here every time Carlson is out getting ready for the for a kick. It's it's said in jest. It's it's like things that parents might say about their kids, like uh, this kid's going to be the death of me or something like that. Like you don't actually mean that your child is going to kill you. Like, clearly, that's there's some the, some context there, or this kid's giving me gray hairs or this that or the other thing. Lafleur says something like that in jest and it gets reported verbatim. What is the lesson here? The lesson here is that coaches and reporters have differently aligned incentives. And as a result, first, never say anything that could get reported verbatim, lacking some context. And second, never assume that anything you say to a journalist is off the record. I know that's a, a popular saying. It's something that comes up in, in the media a lot. There's really no such thing as off the record. And I know that because anything that is sufficiently juicy enough is always going to come out. Because if you're talking to somebody, quote, off the record, and they say something that is just so over the top to you in apparent confidence, the the incentive is just too great there for you to pass it along. You're not going... If you have a chance to make a splash like that, that juicy quote in that moment on national television, you're just going to say, go for it. And you'll deal with the consequences later. Tom Rinaldi may never get another quote from Matt LaFleur, but what he did get was a really good quote to use in a national broadcast in a playoff game. That's a win for Rinaldi. And it's a loss for LaFleur. And he gets a painful lesson there while Rinaldi just gets a quote. It's just different incentives. So you got to be careful when you're talking to the media that way because you can get cooked and you're going to get cooked because they have different incentives than you do. And being completely honest with them is rarely going to work in your favor, especially in a situation like that. Now, Lafleur also did talk a little bit about Joe Barry, and this is something where we need a little bit of historical context here too. Because the initial remark on Barry seems pretty promising for his future in Green Bay. Uh, I don't, I, I'm sorry I don't know all the beat reporters' names by their voice. I wish there was some way to identify that in the press conference. I think that's important uh, for us as media consumers, though I am grateful now that we can actually hear the questions. That was not the case just a couple of years ago. Somebody asked Barry, or somebody asked Lafleur about Joe Barry's future in Green Bay. You talked to us shortly after the end of the season last year. You had said at that point you anticipated all your assistants being back for this year. What's your thought process now if you made that decision? As I said, uh, just I haven't even thought about that at this at this stage. Uh, kind of going through everything right now. I want to certainly sit down with every assistant before any decisions are made. So he has not made any decisions yet on Joe Barry's future. As far as I know, like it could be breaking news right now that Joe Barry has been fired. Uh, But we did learn on Monday that Barry's contract has not expired. So if the Packers do need to make a call here, it's because they actively want him out of the building. There's no just going to be a mutual parting of ways just because his contract is up. Uh, It's going to be because the Packers decided to fire him. Now, initially, it's tempting to just say this is a slam dunk, Barry is back. 
would like to at least present the opportunity for a different interpretation here. In 2023, at the end of the season, the Packers lose to the Detroit Lions. I think, just stepping back from that, you can paint a broad picture that's fairly similar to how the Packers finished in 2023 versus 2024, or 2022, excuse me, versus 2023. Uh, some strong defensive finishes down the down the stretch there that helped get the Packers into a position in Week 18 where they could beat the Lions again into the playoffs. And then the Packers, you know, came up with a defensive effort that held the the Lions to 20 points in that game. It could have been 23 because they could have kicked a field goal there at the end if they wanted to. They were just trying to run out the clock or whatever. But um, I think in part of that, or in part because of that, Joe Barry is retained for 2023. This year, after the Buccaneers and um, Panthers kind of debacles, the Packers buckled down on defense, had two strong games against NFC North opponents, a good game against the Dallas Cowboys, especially in the first half. And again, they they held the 49ers to just 24 points. If you're Joe Barry, you're saying, look, make your kicks, and we're just we're a tight ball game there at the end. We're driving to win uh, when Jordan Love throws that interception versus driving for the tie. Um, so after all that, after the end of the 2022 season, the Packers lose to the Lions. Matt LaFleur talks to reporters after that as the, the reporter – in this year's press conference asked him, he mentioned that. And here's what LaFleur said in part. He goes kind of on a long digression after this quote cuts off. But Ryan Wood asks, you know, what's the deal with Joe Barry? Here's how that went down. You're asked about the, the next two weeks, and obviously it's time to make evaluations and it's not finger points as part of the process. Will, will Joe Barry be your defensive coordinator next year? That's, that's what I anticipate, yes. Um, I would say this, that, like I said, we're, we're at the initial stages of all the evaluations. And quite frankly, I don't, I don't really anticipate a whole lot, if any, staff changes at all. I, I do think there's something to the guys that we have in this building. Um, certainly, I think there's a lot of things that all of us can improve upon, most notably myself. Um, but I, I do believe in the people not only in the locker room, but but our coaching staff. and So pretty definitive right there. I don't anticipate any changes. He didn't come out and say Joe Barry is going to be the guy right away, but given the opportunity, he said, yeah, I, I think we're not going to really have any changes on the staff. This year he did not do that. He didn't just say, yeah, we're, we're going to roll with these guys. I anticipate everything being back. He said, we're looking at everything. Um, and, and that certainly would include Joe Barry and his performance as the Packers defensive coordinator now these last three seasons. Just as an aside, I wish that reporters would change some of how they ask these questions because you know you're probably not going to get a definitive answer uh, about Joe Barry's future in this presser. I understand that you have to ask what I would rather hear when you're looking at this, and Tom Silverstein actually did almost get to this point. I didn't bother tracking down the question because LaFleur kind of gives a, a really mealy-mouthed answer here, and I, I, I wish they would have asked a more direct version of this question. But um, what I would like to hear is, you know, you say you're, you're, talk, you're looking at everything. You say you're evaluating everything, you know, personnel and coaches included. What standard are you using to evaluate your defensive staff and – how will you know if your defensive coordinator met that standard? That's what I want to know. 
He may say nothing there. He may not say that there's any public standard, but I, I want to be more specific about the tools that he's using to make this make these decisions because the decisions and the decision-making process is really what's what's at stake here. Because even if you fired Joe Barry uh, but do it for the wrong reasons, chances are you're just going to get another version of Joe Barry here the next time around. You need to be firing Joe Barry for specific football-related reasons that align with your goals for the franchise. And if you don't have a solid process for that, you're never going to land a guy that is really going to help get you there unless your goals are good, your process is good, and you're able to find a guy who aligns with those, which is an entirely different challenge. But the process is really what's what's at stake here. Now for something completely different, now that we are 16 minutes into this podcast, I wanted to take a second and look at some of our predictions from from this past year before we take a look at really the state of this team. Uh, predictions are always a fun thing to review. I made an entire Excel spreadsheet, a version of which I'm going to try to publish at thepowersweep.com sometime this week. It's really hard to get a, a format that works for these on the site. I may end up just taking a, a screenshot of all the predictions, and you can sort through them and tell me how smart or dumb I was. Uh, it's more of the second one. Um, but reviewing your predictions, I think, is good for kind of level setting expectations after the season and looking forward. So I wanted to first look at some of our incorrect predictions and some of our correct predictions. Most of the incorrect predictions had to do with personnel and personnel availability. The first uh, first one, first and most obvious one, um, had to do with our, our read on Yash Nyman. Back when we did our offensive line preview last year, I predicted that Yash would start 10 games for the Packers. He only started one, and I think the thinking there was he's going to end up starting at either left or right tackle at some point this year, either for David Bakhtiari or because the Packers have moved Zach Tom into guard or center. As it turned out, Zach Tom locks things down on the right side. Nyman and Rasheed Walker end up in kind of a timeshare situation at left tackle, and Rasheed Walker ultimately wins that position battle. And now Nyman looks to be on the outside looking in. So a misread of the situation by us, by me. And I wonder um, what this, if the Packers knew it was going to play out this way, if they would have tendered him last year. I kind of think they still would have. I wonder if it would have been at the second round level or if they would have tried to get away with something a little bit lower down. But... um, a miss there on the offensive line for us. Also predicted that Quay Walker would have 15 or more ball hawks this year. Only six and a half ended up being the case for him. Uh, I think this was a big shortcoming for Quay this year. I think he improved in a lot of ways over the course of the season. He is still just a physical marvel in there. Uh, You see the difference between Devondre Campbell and, say, Isaiah McDuffie, just in their their speed and how they react to situations and how fluidly they move on the field. And then you see the difference between Isaiah McDuffie and Quay Walker. Walker can do the same kind of movement stuff that McDuffie can, except he's a couple inches taller and like 40 pounds heavier. Maybe not 40 pounds, but 25, 30 pounds heavier than McDuffie. He's just so impressive to look at on the field I just wish he would have been able to follow up some of his rookie success in terms of making on the making plays on the ball because I think he had about five more last year than he did this year. Still did have the big pick six, just fell a little bit short of what we expected and hoped for from him this year. Also had some misses on Jordan Love's stats for this year, but in a really encouraging direction. 
Uh, to run it down, I predicted that Love would throw between four between 3,600 and 4,100 yards this year, that he would throw between 20 and 26 touchdowns, that he'd throw at least 12 interceptions, and that he'd complete at least 62% of his passes. Now, I got one of those predictions right. The rest were wrong, but they were wrong in a really good direction because Love threw for more yards than I would have guessed. He threw for more touchdowns than I would have guessed, and he threw fewer interceptions than I would have guessed. That's really good news. If I'm going to be wrong about the quarterback, that's how I want to be wrong. Not overselling, but underselling what he was capable of, and he did it. He did a lot of great things uh, for the Packers this year and put up some really great statistical production. Finally, I was wrong about some stuff on the defense. I thought they would improve where they were last year versus this year. Uh, No, they didn't. Um, Just to run down three relevant predictions, I said the Packers' defense would rank at least 20th by DVOA. They ranked 27th. I said they'd only allow 30 or more points one time. They did it four times. And I said that they'd finish between 10th and 14th in takeaways, just 23rd. They were not getting their hands on the ball really with any regularity this year at all. However, we also had some positive predictions. Uh, the, the three best ones, I think, came down to predictions about Lucas Van Ness generally, uh, predictions about Jaden Reed and Dontavian Wicks, and then predictions about the Packers' overall success this season. Now, as far as Lucas Van Ness go, I made three predictions for him. Uh, I predicted he played more snaps as a rookie than Rashawn Gary did. He did. Uh, I predicted that he would have four or more sacks. He had four exactly in the regular season. Then I predicted that he would have a pressure rate under 10% for the season. He did, though he got very close to breaking 10%. Is at 9.24 for the season. So a good number for a rookie, just not, or, well, I, I guess almost exactly where I thought he would be, but um, still under the threshold. Very promising rookie year for him. Um, and as a rotational player, basically, I thought very, very productive. I, I think it was a positive rookie season for Lucas Van Ness. Now on uh, Wicks and Reed, some underselling here too, and really encouraging for both of them. Uh, Reed, I think we hit pretty exactly. I predicted Reed would have 35 or more catches. He almost doubled that up with 64. I predicted he'd play 450 snaps or more on offense. He played 578. And then Uh, As a punt returner, I predicted he'd average 8.5 yards per return or more, and we hit that right on the button. He averaged 8.5 yards per return this season. Wicks, excuse me, is really, really exciting here because the three predictions here basically boiled down to him not playing as much as we hoped he would. I predicted he'd make the 53. That wasn't going way out there on a limb. Even as a fifth-round pick, it seemed like he had a good shot from the get-go. But I thought he'd play under 250 snaps on offense and have fewer than 15 catches. He smashed both of those. 458 snaps, 39 catches. A great rookie season from Wick, or from yeah, from Wicks. And why it's so exciting is usually, and I'm thinking like late McCarthy era especially, Wicks seemed like the classic version of the guy where everyone could see the talent in the preseason. Everyone could see how he was probably underdrafted based on some of his college stuff and his, you know, the height, weight, speed stuff. But the Packers, in years gone by, it seems like would probably just let him basically rot on the bench as a rookie just because you had other guys ahead of him, other guys that could catch the ball, other guys that were maybe more established like Christian Watson or uh, Romeo Dobbs. It just seems like they would have said, you know, we're going to let him redshirt for a year and come along slowly, and then we would have got some 
some flashes at the end of the season. That was not the case this year with Wicks. He got to play pretty early and and quite a bit over the course of the season, and he rewarded that. He looks like a great, great piece for the Packers to have at receiver. So very encouraging to see him um, render those predictions not like, well, technically incorrect, but incorrect in the best possible way. Finally, my best and perhaps luckiest prediction of the year is that the Packers would make the playoffs. Um, we didn't get a chance to do this one on the podcast, but I wrote this as an, in an article uh, for the Power Sweep on September 8th, 2023. Uh, here's how I closed out my team-level predictions article. Quote, though it's possible they could win the NFC North, I don't feel comfortable predicting that. The division is wide open, but I don't feel like the Packers are far enough along in their team life cycle to make that a realistic prediction this year. They need a little bit of time yet. That said, I do think they can and will make the playoffs as a wildcard team. Last year's NFC field sent three teams to the playoffs with nine or fewer wins, and I don't see any reason to think the conference will be any stronger this year. If the Packers can consistently grow over the course of the season, we should see them in the playoffs with Jordan Love, end quote. That's basically how it shaped out, uh, shaped up. Uh, the Packers did grow, maybe not consistently over the course of the season, but on average, I think pretty consistent growth, um, especially over the second half. It just went kind of uh, hockey stick growth, just straight up. Um, but they grew, they got better over the course of the year, and they did ultimately end up making the playoffs. I think looking back on all of my predictions this year, I feel like this was a lot more of an exciting team than I would have anticipated. I was feeling a lot more like we'd have games that we saw late October, early November. Not quite slog-type games, but games that were uneven and rough and like a bunch of 24-21 to type games or 26-24, to just games that are maybe a little bit more high scoring, but just kind of a slog on both sides. In the end, it ended up being a lot of boom or bust sort of games and a lot of boom for the Packers down the stretch, which was exciting to watch and uh, a trend that really carried them into the playoffs. I'd like to close today by doing a little State of the Packers overview. So this is the part where I get to um, pretend to be Mark Murphy, waking up in the Green Bay suburbs, you know, rolling out of bed, what does Mark Murphy listen to in the morning? Um, probably like some local talk radio station, something like that. You know, but putting on your JCPenney suit, your Packers Pro Shop tie, this one has been in rotation for a while. You got it, you know, back when you first became president of the Packers. Um, you bought it for yourself kind of like as a, ah, I've really arrived here. This is this is exciting sort of gift. Uh, go downstairs, new year, new you. It's 2024, 2023 Mark Murphy ate oatmeal for breakfast. 2024 Mark Murphy, we eat egg white omelets, maybe a little sliced up avocado with that. Trying to be a little bit healthier, but you know, you got to gotta mix it up a little bit. And of course, even though it's a little bit chilly out, we're going to hop on the penny farthing bicycle and pedal down Lombardi Avenue on our way to work. And we're going to sit down and we're going to give a report to the board about how this team did this year. The -the off-the-field concerns, if I'm Mark Murphy, are to the point where they're taking care of themselves. We've got the Titletown District up and running. Everything looks great around the Packers Stadium. It's just, it's looking good. Things are going well, and the on-field stuff is really going to start to mirror that. Looking ahead, if I'm Mark Murphy, I'm selling the, the solid foundation of the present and the exciting things that we have in the future. 
the future here, as we're going to talk about in a second, is brighter than you might even realize. And there are some exciting things happening with this Packers that are going to marry the on-field and off-field stuff in some really thrilling ways. So just as an overview, as I sit down with the board, I want to give our coaching staff and our general manager credit for another winning season here. You know, I'm not sure that a lot of us would have anticipated getting to nine wins, especially when we're at the, the midway point of the season. But we've now logged our seventh winning season in the last 10 years. I know we're about championships in Green Bay. They don't call it title town for no reason. But just getting above 500 is a threshold that a lot of teams would be grateful to crack. And we've done it seven times in the last 10 years. And if you expand out the timeline, it's much better than that. Above 70% of the time, we are getting to a winning record. So I think we should feel really good about that. And we did that because we hit a really accelerated rebuild here. Looking at the construction of our roster after, you know, last season, we we moved on from, from Aaron. We wish him all the best in New York. I was bummed as a football fan to see him tear his Achilles there in the start of the season. Uh, But clearly we entered a a phase where we were retooling some things or rebuilding or remodeling whatever you want to cover or whatever you want to call it. And I think a lot of us looked at the initial window for recovering from that period of transition to be 2024 or 2025. You're going to hit some more cap solvency in those years. You're going to get some younger players that are uh, maturing and developing. Instead, we were in the conversation this year, and I know the end was disappointing, but still, there's something to be said for even if we ended up losing it, being six minutes away from the NFC Championship game on the road against the number one seed in the NFC. That's something that I think we all should be excited about. And a lot of the things that were exciting about this team in 2023 are going to be present both now and in the future. Our foundation is very, very strong here in Green Bay for a lot of different reasons. For starters, we've got a GM and a coach that are on the same page, aligned in their visions, aligned in how they want to build this roster, aligned in their philosophy, and aligned contract-wise. Both of them signed contract extensions not too long ago. We're very excited about Brian and Matt, what they can bring to the franchise, what they've brought to the franchise. We remain very optimistic about them and uh, we're excited to have them continuing to work together. In addition, we've also got the most important piece taken care of, at least for the foreseeable immediate future. Now, there's going to be questions about extension and what that looks like. We'll answer those at the appropriate time. We've got until May to figure that out with Jordan. But for right now, we've answered the most, most important question, do we have a quarterback that we want to try to build around? The answer is yes. That is more important than whether Jordan ends up being you know, a multi-time All-Pro, a a Hall of Famer. The important question is, do we want to build around Jordan right now? And he answered yes, very firmly, I felt, in 2023. That's something that we want to do. We've also got a bunch of bright, young skill position players, both on offense and, to a lesser extent, on defense, in position um, now and for the future. And when you talk about the future, things look very bright there as well. In 2024 and to a greater extent in 2025, we're looking ahead to more salary cap solvency. We're starting to to get out from some of the the bad contracts that um, maybe went a little bit sideways or south on us toward the end of uh, Aaron Rodgers' here time with the team, Uh, but also some of the the salary cap crunch that came with the COVID-19 pandemic. I think that's something that a lot of us have 
have forgotten a little bit over the years, uh, a big part of why we ended up in the cap crunch in 2020 and 2021, particularly 2021 and 2022, was because of the contraction of the cap that happened as a result of the pandemic. Now that we've emerged from that, now that we're getting to the stage where we can jettison some of the contracts uh, that were that were done during that era, we can start to get a little bit more solvent for our cap here in 2024 and 2025 as we look to manage for the future. We also have some draft picks coming our way this spring, as we do every year, but we've got quite a war chest lined up for this spring. Look to have 11 draft picks at this point, five in the top 90. We've got six draft picks over all of our own. We've got one coming in from the Jets in the second round. We've got a third round selection coming from the Bills. And we are looking very likely to get three compensatory picks this year, giving us that total of 11. I mentioned our young players earlier. We have an extremely dynamic core of young players in place. We already have 37 players under contract for the 2025 season. That includes every wide receiver who caught a pass for us in 2023, every tight end on the roster other than Josiah DeGuara, four linemen who started a game for us this year, three of our top five defensive linemen, edge rushers Rashawn Gary, Lucas Van Ness, uh, and J.J. Nigbari, as well as linebacker Quay Walker. We've also got Preston Smith and Devondre Campbell under contract through that same time, though we have some work to do on both of those fronts. We're very excited about them and what they've brought to the Green Bay Packers over the year. Looking a little bit further down, we even have 24 players signed through 2026. The core of the roster is looking great, and it looks to be great for the foreseeable future here in Green Bay. In addition, we'll also have nine home games at Lambeau Field for the first time in 2024. Uh, Since the NFL went to their 17-game schedule, we've never been able to have uh, the, the nine games at Lambeau Field. Uh, We had two seasons where we've been on the road for nine games and one year where we had our ninth home game moved to London, which we were very excited about. We were very happy to see our our international fans, but we're excited to be able to bring that ninth home game to Lambeau Field in 2024. Looking a little bit further down the line toward my final year at the helm here in Green Bay, we can anticipate the exciting arrival of the 2025 NFL Draft in Green Bay, that's something we're really looking forward to, and it's something that's going to help us continue to uh, pursue the great international status that we're looking for as an organization and uh, bring in some great players uh, to where they're going to help us win championships uh, here in Green Bay. In conclusion, the future is very bright, the present is very strong, and the continuity we have with our coach, our general manager, and our core of players is going to help us I think, get back to the Super Bowl very, very soon and bring more titles to Lambeau Field, to Green Bay, to the best football franchise there is in the world. That's what I would say if I'm Mark Murphy. Do you have some spin in there? Absolutely. But that's part of the job as the president. If you're reporting to your board, to your bosses, you're bragging about your accomplishments there. You're talking about how you set this organization up for success. And I think you can make a very strong case very easily about the future that is in place for the Green Bay Packers. Yeah, it is disappointing to lose when you've got an opportunity to win. But the I think the bottom line for the 2023 Packers is they've gotten this thing back online quicker than most people thought was possible. Look, even if I predicted they were going to make the playoffs in 2023, that doesn't mean the rebuild is necessarily progressing that quickly. That's more about the overall weakness of the NFC field and the reality of having seven playoff teams now. 
But the Packers have gotten things back on schedule quickly. They are in good shape for now and for the future. The future is bright. And I'm excited to see as we go through this offseason, evaluate everybody on the roster, uh, look at what they've got coming up ahead, and then around the start of March, start looking ahead to the NFL draft. Boy, there's a lot of exciting stuff on the horizon for us, for the Packers. It's a good time to be a Packers fan, man. It's it's going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be fun to do this stuff with you in the future. We will, at some point, have some sort of discussion, probably on our, our Patreon page, about goals for the power sweep and expectations and stuff um, in in 2024. But that's a conversation for another day. That is something that I've got cooking kind of on a back burner though. And I'm excited about some of the stuff that we're planning to add in this year. Tentatively, I would say just look for the return of our polling. That was something that a lot of people asked for. And I think we're going to be able to bring that back in 2024. And I'm excited to, to get a more direct read on what some of you people are thinking about as we go into each and every week of this Packers season. It's going to be great. It's an exciting time again to be a Packers fan, and I'm excited to be a fan with you. In any case, that's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I'd appreciate it even more if you'd take a second and share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it. It's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.